0: Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Hi, Nicole. Are you there? Hi, this is Nicole. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Do you mind starting us off with a brief introduction? Not at all. Um, My name is Nicole Davis and I
1: am an assistant clinical professor and the director of supervision for the ABA programs at Northeastern University. Um, I've been there for uh, about three years now, and um, all of our programs are online graduate programs. Um, We have a master's program, a certificate program, and um, we also have programs for our school psychology master's students can have a concentration in ABA and um, then come out of the program with dual licensure and and certification, which is um, pretty
0: fun. So that's me. Thanks for joining us. Um, I didn't know that about your program and I find that really interesting. Uh, Hawaii is one of the few states that doesn't have any regulations or regulatory oversight of school psychologists. Um, and they're, we're looking to support them, and they're looking to kind of expand their practice here in Hawaii. And it would be incredible to think about having a dual program uh, or a program that could offer that dual certification.
1: We've actually um, found it really um, kind of exciting. Uh, I've gotten to learn more about the school psychology field, and um, the more I learn, the more you can see behavior analysis being integrated, which is really exciting. Um, plus, it's an area that just makes sense for uh, behavior analysts um, to be working um, or sort school psychologists to become behavior analysts. It works really nicely and it brings um, newer conversations for our ABA students when our school psychology students are a part of their classes.
0: Anytime that we can support that interdisciplinary or kind of cross-disciplinary approaches is always real exciting. I know we had talked Uh, At some point, I was talking with Dr. Carr about sustainability, and I think this could be true with education, public policy, and a lot of different directions. Um, But one of the reasons why I invited you to come speak on the podcast today was to talk about the online teaching world. Um, We sort of build off of the conversation that we had with Dr. I had with Dr. Markovitz. um, But you you wanted to kind of take the approach of talking about how do we incorporate behavior analytic approaches into our teaching and into the online teaching environment. Can you expand on that? Um,
1: Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, Some of the work that I'm doing with my colleague, uh, Dr. Laura Dudley um, at Northeastern, is looking at a lot of what is going on in the instructional design and online learning and teaching communities um, and doing some translation into behavior analytic terms because, believe it or not, a lot of the things that are becoming um, known as effective, um, you know, are based on some of the basic principles, even if they're not discussed that way. Uh, so we're, we're taking a look at that and then using just um, best practice and behavior analysis with um, our online teaching. Uh, with teaching online, it can be kind of difficult sometimes um because we don't necessarily get the opportunity to shape responses immediately as they may be um, as they may be emitted, so in class, if a student is talking about something and there's just something that might be a little bit off when you're face to face on a brick and mortar in a brick and mortar class, you can shape that up really quickly and then move on or elaborate and sometimes that's missing from. Um, what is um, what people may call an asynchronous um, class, which you did discuss previously with uh, Dr. Markovitz. Um, so we need to kind of figure out how to to make those things work um, with a delay. Um, so some of the the things that you might look at might be a, a bit different. So we're not looking at behavior precisely; we're looking at the product of behavior. So that's one. Um, one barrier, let's say, to teaching online that might not be true teaching live. Um, Some of the things that different programs have looked at to address this would be synchronous um, discussions as part of your asynchronous class, uh, which we've done some work looking at some of the effects of adding some live group discussions and, and making them voluntary. Um, But at that point, then you still get some uh, potential technical issues, which could uh, affect the learning environment as well. So um, simple things like um, web delays and um, static feedback and things that we need to work with can uh, be variables, honestly, to learning in those situations. So some of the things that that we do are – Uh, take data and and look at data on responding that we're already collecting in quiz format, in um, activity format, discussion format, then um, put in some type of change, right? So manipulate some independent variable and examine the effects across courses, across different sections of courses, and then um, within individual learners, which uh, we see a lot of... um, nice effects of. So I think that was kind of a general overview.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense that behavior analysts would look at individual learning performances and not just the overall performance of the group. How do you take or how have you, how could we take um, that understanding or viewpoint of single-subject designs, you know, where the learner serves as their own control into consideration as we're designing or evaluating the effectiveness of online programming? Um, so
1: so this is going to depend a lot on how online courses specifically are arranged. Um, and what um, we've done to kind of address this is to break courses down into equal um, modules, let's say, so that we can um, evaluate the effect of some independent variable in each module. So for instance, we may have um, four different areas where um, we're looking for learning to occur. And um, during area one and area three, this would serve as our baseline conditions where this independent variable would be as typical. And then area two and area four, we would manipulate that. So for instance, um, I talked about adding synchronous small group discussion and seeing the effects of this. in what we did was provide the option to participate in synchronous discussion just for certain topic areas and not for others. So we see a nice reversal design um, with that. And then we evaluated a number of different responses, like I said, test scores, um, discussion board posts. Uh, We looked at the number of contacts with instructors because for um, our program specifically, we're looking for students to engage with us as much as possible um, to make sure that we are a, um, a source of learning and reinforcement um, as much as possible. So we, we tracked that as well. And then we were able to look at those data um, within for, with each student's learning um, specifically. Uh, additionally, what we did to be a little more um, systematic is, with two sections of the course, we could provide that independent variable, that synchronous discussion, um, in the opposite modules. So Section 1 got synchronous discussion in Module 2 and 4, and um, Section 2 got it in sections, in, um, in areas 1 and 3. I know that's confusing um, in an audio, audio format, but basically we were able to control for it to make sure that it wasn't necessarily the content. Um, but but really the teaching opportunity and the opportunity to participate in small group discussions. Um by arranging things like that, we're able to approach things behavior analytically
0: um
1: in general, no matter what the what we're looking to test.
0: So we were talking about some of those individualized um the ways to detect some individualized needs. But what what were some of – were there any overall patterns or trends that you noticed with the groups that you were evaluating, for example, in the uh, two sections of this course that you mentioned? Um, So so
1: this is, you know, a particular study that we're focusing on. Um, And what we found – and we presented these data at ABAI – I think last year. Yeah, last year. Um, what we found is that um, for this particular item is as soon as students chose to engage in the small group discussion, um, one, they continued to. Um, so um, they, you know, uh, for those of, who engaged in the first one, they continued to sign up for the small group discussion, um, which would, you know, signal some type of preference for it. Um and um, you know we weren't able to differentiate too much with quiz scores um, and um, discussion board posts, but what we did find was the number of um, interactions on the discussion board consistently increased, meaning um, even when people were not required to respond, there were more responses um, and more contacts with the instructor. Um, either for clarification on material or um, other needs. Um, So it's just one example of how we can kind of um, look at things and and assess it.
0: Do you have any recommendations or suggestions for students in online programs based off the information you're kind of uh, gathering here from these studies?
1: Um, Yeah, for for students, I try my best, So, so I'm going to share a little bit. Um, I am um, visually impaired and and technically legally blind, so I am a behavior analyst with a disability. So that being said, my history of reinforcement, um, my advocacy um, responding, however you want to talk about that, um, has been pretty densely reinforced. So um, for students, um, I recommend doing this as much yourself and as you're learning about behavior analysis to start um, trying to use it within your own life as much as possible. With that, trying, hopefully, more information and clarification is, um, you know, starts to be conditioned as a reinforcer so that you should reach out to professors as much as possible or as much as need be um, to really make sure that your learning is what, um, what is essential, um, you know, for the most part. So, again, that's more how I approach things. Um, if there is, um, if I see online that that someone is, is struggling, a lot of the times what I um, base that on uh, may be grades on quizzes or tests or um, repeated errors on a discussion board or in a discussion group. Um, so it takes a little bit of time in order for me to determine that I should reach out and um, see if we need to set up um, a behavior plan for study behavior or um, a way sometimes just to pair the computer with reinforcement to decrease avoidance behavior. Um, I do a lot of that with students who are having difficulty. Um, but if they reach out to me ahead of time, we can do that more, um, more quickly and, and there's less ground to make up. So that's what I would say the biggest thing is. Take control of your own um, education and reach out to professors if you need help.
0: Take control of your own learning. That's really good advice, I think. <laughs> and, you know, I, in my experience as a supervisor, and working with people who are in graduate programs, um I don't really truly experience a lot of people who who pursue the field of behavior analysis who say, like, oh, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to try my best, wing it, see how it goes. Um, I'm constantly encountering students who are um, very um, nervous or anxious or on top of um, their learning or try to be. And sometimes it can be a little intimidating to advocate for yourself or to know when and how to advocate and I think that that can be sometimes, I don't know, more challenging for some people, less challenging for others when it's online versus in person. Your comfort levels will depend um, there. What else do you have going on uh, kind of in your world? Um, or what else have you learned from doing this? Or what do you see as future directions? Or what kind of questions has it left you and your colleagues with? So... Like I
1: mentioned, um, we're really starting to delve into the literature on um online teaching and learning in general. And um we're finding a lot of um um a lot of studies that um would how to word this, um, where we can tact the behavior analytic principles that, that could be involved if we're translating it. Um, but the data aren't necessarily the data that we would be looking for. Um, so where we're looking to go is to really work on this um, this format, this structure of online classes that we're starting to develop to be able to assess different independent variables and um, kind of do some translational literature uh, research from another um, research base to ours and vice versa. Um, so I've been working with colleagues in, um, at Northeastern uh, and also discussing work with professors who are not in the behavior analytic community um, and starting to talk about some of our, um, what might be considered a philosophic conceptualization with them in more, um, you know, non-technical terms. So, for instance, I was talking to colleagues last week Um, about teaching and um, talking about learning and learning behavior in general and um, talking about things that that graduate uh, graduate students should know prior to entering a graduate program or should um, have in their repertoire before entering a graduate program. And um, I kind of led that discussion in how much does it matter that um, they should be doing it or does it matter that they can demonstrate those skills? Um and then what to do from there. For me, my thought was um, we don't um blame the participant, don't blame the learner. Uh we just help them, we we do what we need to do, we manipulate the environment to help learning occur. And um and it, it went really well in um and it was um things that, that people were readily readily um engaged in talking about so then we can talk about that that's just that's behavior analysis that's what we do and it it disseminates the science while getting information that we need in an area that we're interested in
0: in order to interface with other professions and fields and disciplines we have to have a really strong uh, verbal repertoire i think ourselves and you've talked a lot about translating you know and i think of many conversations with uh, Dr. Pat Freiman on how do we take this technical aspect, maintain the integrity of the technical piece, you know, reinforcement, let's use it correctly when we use it. How do you take something like that and then be able to speak in terms others understand? um, How how did you develop that kind of fluency and what advice would you have for others who are working to get to that level?
1: This is um, what I I tell students is I think this is the, hardest thing as behavior analysts we have to do. Um, Staying precise while speaking English, or I'm going to assume other languages that I'm not fluent in, um, is is essential and difficult, and I think it's a place where a lot of um, discussion is currently happening, you know, among uh, members of our field. For me, um, honestly, what helped me become most fluent is to teach. And even if someone is not going to go into academia or teach classes, the opportunity to um, use your your verbal behavior in order for another person to either engage in a skill or in their own verbal behavior is the perfect practice. Because if if what you are saying or writing um, is not uh, sufficient, you won't get. The, um, the repetition back to you or you won't get the skill demonstrated with precision. Um, so I think that's a, a recommendation that I have for anyone. Sometimes it's hard to um, find someone that, that would um, let's say reinforce your teaching behavior. Uh, you know, just walking up to anyone and saying this is reinforcement and this is why we need to know um, <laughs> the effects of reinforcement might not be the best Way, but a lot of times there is someone um in a in a work environment or someone else that um that the information would be um, that, that that would like the information so that's what I think is the best is just teach someone who um wants to know or wants to learn.
0: My parents have been really good um i guess students of behavior analysis in that way, or like you said, when you hear back somebody with words that you've helped them, um, you know, kind of come up with. When you hear that precision or when you hear someone else say something and you're like, "Yeah, that actually, yes, that is correct, or that is how I identify or how I would describe it, then that can sort of incentivize that that educational sort of um, behavior we're trying to impart or do for ourselves. Before we end today, Nicole, and I definitely want to have you back to talk more about your own experiences um, for mentioning about, you know, what it's like to be a behavior analyst who is also um legally blind or some more of those conversations on advocacy and what that looks like for you but um that'll have to be for another conversation but before we do leave is there anything else that you're working on that you um or a message that you'd like to give to anyone listening on the call today I want to give you that opportunity
1: um well I'd absolutely love to come back to to talk about that um and the the thing that um besides online teaching and teaching online, um I'm working on um honestly uh publishing a paper that was my doctoral dissertation that has not been um that I haven't finished yet um on avoidance responding. And um we are um designing some workshops and um some uh, talks on, on the online teaching front and um, some of the things that we're doing. So those are the things that I have um, coming up. And, um, yeah, I think that's, that's it for right now. Um, see everybody at, you know, the many conferences coming up in the next few months. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are some of your favorite conferences? What are the mm-hmm. few that you have coming up for you this year?
1: Um, this year, I'm actually um, spending a lot of time at some online teaching conferences. So I'm looking to go to the online um, learning consortium. I'm very excited about that. And I'll be at um, ABAI and um, the Babbitt Social and uh, Behavior Analysis Leadership Council this year, um, some new ones. Um, my plan was to go to WEVA, and I, I'm missing it.
0: Um, but but
1: those are the ones that
0: um, are coming up. So Babbitt Behavior Analysis Berkshire Association and Therapy or something like that. It's in the, the New England, Western uh, Massachusetts area. And WEBA, the Women's uh, uh, Conference in Behavior Analysis as well. So Sorry, I'm two, using acronyms. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, our field is kind of fun with those, right? Um, there's two HABAs. There's the Hoosier Association for Behavior Analysis and the Hawaii Association. Um, at one point we thought about having like a fun contest to duke it out Um, I mean, I'm cool with taking high ABBA for Hawaii, you know, for Hawaii, but um, who knows? Anyhow, it's good to see that people are um, expanding and that you're looking into going to to different conferences on topics that are of interest to you. I recently have moved into a position in quality assurance um, with the agency I work with and looking at developing systems from a behavior analytics standpoint and organizational standpoint to see how not only do we develop the systems, how do we ensure that people are following them and how do we use behavior analysis in that way? And um, it's really making me want to go to, like, some medical conferences and learn more about what those processes are because it's, it's, a, it's a new skill set for me to, to do. And I'm probably going to be taking some online <laughs> instruction, some classes, on how to uh, be successful with that. But, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today and for talking to us about this and for sharing and for agreeing to come back. We really appreciate your time today. Absolutely. It's been a blast. For anyone else who's interested in learning more, you can visit www.behaviorbabe.com.